Dearest listeners, this is Guy. I did a really bad job recording the sound on this episode, so I apologize in advance. I hope you're able to bear through it. It's a great, great episode, but I did want to say sorry for the lousy recording. Enjoy. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Hagi Sakalakis. Kelly, what's up? Hey, but you didn't say my last name. Let's go back in time and say my last name. All right. Kelly Street. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much. Um, so, Gee. Yes, Kelly Street. Do you have a favorite time machine? Yes, Kelly Street. What is your favorite time machine? DeLorean. You know, I only uh, I watched that movie for the first time about two years ago. How did it hold up? Uh, it pretty, you know. No, mm, not, sort of. A, not a very strong endorsement there. No, but I mean, it's all, it's, it's great. It's a piece of uh, cultural history. What's your favorite time machine? <clears throat> Put my nerd hat on. Take your uh, time. From Ray Bradbury's A Sound of Thunder, the short oh. story, where the term the butterfly effect was originated from, that is my favorite time machine. Okay. That story and the time machine in that story. Because, like, that's kind of what, not really what started it all necessarily, but just, I mean, everybody says, oh, it's the butterfly effect, but having no idea where it comes from, unless you know the story. So there you go. There that's it is. That's my favorite. Okay. I like it. So we went a little back in time today to talk to someone you know from elementary school. But before we get into the episode, um, I just want to talk about how awkward you and I both are at networking events or conferences. Sure. <laughs> I know you really just meant how awkward I am. No, no, no. It's I, I am also a very awkward person. You know, we've got tech show coming up and some other, you know, it's kind of the, the start of the year for all of these legal events. And uh, you and I both uh, get to be a little, a little awkward sometimes. See, my, one, of my prob- one of my many problems is I actually like awkward. Oh, I absolutely do too. Other people just don't know how to engage with me when I'm in one of my awkward modes. Like right now. Like right now. No, I just, okay, so here's how I can be awkward. I will Walk us through your awkwardness, please. I, I think it comes across as standoffish, but really when I'm feeling awkward, I just will like make jokes or not really try to be engaging with someone. And it's really just because like I feel uncomfortable. I don't really want to be there. And um, it has nothing to do with them. It's more I'm like, I just can't emote right now and I can't, I'm having a hard time making connections. And so I'll just make jokes and then hopefully you'll think that I'm a charming person. <laughs> Got it. Okay, let's, a lot. let's turn this around. Let's talk about how awkward Gee can be. Okay. Tell me, what do I do? Um, well, you have a lot of twitches, which we yes. <laughs> talked yes, about. Yes, I do. What are some of your favorite Gee twitches? Um, your hand thing where you'd like move Please your, be more specific. Where you like, um, you like rub your thumb across the pads of your other fingers. I know. It's so sort of. weird. Why do I do that? I wonder if other people notice that they you do, do that. They do. My friends know. My friend MG is like my friend from childhood. He's always makes fun of me for it. In fact, he like tries to take pictures of me when I'm doing it. Is it like a soothing mechanism to like keep yourself I, calm? I guess I don't know. It's like a subconscious thing. I don't. I don't know. I do. I do do it though. It's not even like when I. I do it even when I'm like not in a public setting. Like I'll just be sitting like right now. I'm just sitting here, just kind of. Oh yeah. When you mention it, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so it's not even like oh a public gosh. tick. It's like a. I do it by myself. Yeah. Well, you have that, and then you also. It's a big one. I think the biggest awkward thing is just you have a very limited time frame in which you are generally um, you either engage in a conversation for a long time or it goes on for about 30 seconds and then you're out. Yes. Our guest today would be able to assist me with how to more uh, eloquently exit conversations because I just do the 
all right. And then it's quiet. And actually, one of the things our guest, I don't know if we talked about it today, but on on his show, one of the things they talk about is using water to be able to more gracefully, whether like if you forget somebody, here's an example they give. If you like forget someone's name, you introduce them to somebody else and then take a drink of water and that person feels compelled to continue the introduction on their own. Oh, that's so smart. That is such a good trick. We didn't, I need to do that because I am, I am great at remembering people's faces and outfits. Um, but names, I just, for some reason, names don't, don't stick with me as easily. So I water with you. People are going to learn so many tricks in today's episode and tips for networking and kind of building out their audience. I'm super excited. Awkward. Awkward. All right. Well, let's stop being awkward, Guy, and let's get into today's episode with our fabulous guest, Jordan Harbinger. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Guy Sakalakis and Kelly Street. Teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. Gee, it's time to go back in time. Oh, that was weird. It's time to go back in time. But it is. Let's do it. Let's take you back to your elementary school days. Yes. Gee, who were you friends with in elementary school? Well, I mean, a lot of people, but uh, <laughs> more specifically, there's, yeah, I there's sh- one, I, there's one in particular that we're talking to today. There is, and uh, this person, we actually went, we are in the same bus stop for a period of time. I was trying to remember the street, but I, it seems a long time ago, so I was kind of blanking. But uh, yeah, this person and I actually, we went to elementary school together, and we actually went to uh, other schools together, including Michigan and Seahome. And so we are very happy and privileged to have Jordan Harbinger joining us today. And for those that don't know Jordan Harbinger, Jordan has been referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. I mean, Jordan has got a lot of interesting stories that I've got some uh, talking points here to bring up. Like we're just going to throw in there. But uh, Jordan is also an ex-lawyer and an entrepreneur and an extremely influential podcaster. In fact, he is hosting one of the top 50 iTunes podcasts, I think from 2018, but even before that, he had one running for 12 years. So we're going to get into podcasting. We're going to talk entrepreneurship. We're going to talk Harlan Elementary School. Jordan Harbinger, welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Thanks for having me on. It's so funny. When I got this invite, I was like, wait a minute. I don't know too many people named Guy Chakalakis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's only like 50 in the U.S., so. Yeah, is there really? There, have you actually No, there are none. There's, There's probably not. one, yeah. There's exactly. zero. Yeah. Well, there's me, I guess, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, how could I not after all, all this time? I, I just thought it was so fun. I was like, oh, let me let me Google this person and then see if, if this is just such a weird coincidence, and of course not. Especially because Guy, as everyone may or may not know, fleshes out to something even longer and harder to spell than your yes, last name. That's right. Argyrios. Right. <laughs> so that's hence Guy. But I get Guy, G, Jai. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, my mom, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but GYI <laughs> is actually some kind of moniker in Southeast Asia. But I don't know much more than that. Wow. Well, look, yeah. once people see you, I don't think they'll be like, is he Asian? Right. I don't think so. Well, most of the time, they, when I get on the phone with someone, they're like, uh, is the person who I'm trying to call, do you speak English? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Barely, but yes. <laughs> That's great. So Proud of you, enough man. about me. Thanks. Great English skills on this Thank guy. you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, enough about Guy. Jordan. So Guy gave you a lovely introduction there. But if there is anything else you want to add, please absolutely do that. Sure. So I've been podcasting for 12 years, which is about 11 years longer than most people have heard of podcasts or 10 (laughs) anyway. So I was really early in that game. And the reason I got into it was because I initially had thought 
I got a job at a at a Wall Street law firm when I after law school or during law school. And you know, in elementary school or high school, you think like, oh, I'm kind of smart. I can show up and get like a B on this test without having paid attention in class at all for more than five minutes. And that's great. If you're sort of like of average or above average test taking skills, you can get away with that in high school. And then I got to college and everybody was pretty smart at the University of Michigan. And then I thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. But luckily, when you're in that position, everybody's kind of partying and drinking and hanging out. So I thought if I just show up to class and, you know, do even half of the homework and the reading, I'll be fine. I'll be able to get okay grades. And apparently grades don't matter in college. And then someone said, hey, if you want to go to grad school, they do. And I thought, okay, better safe than sorry. So I just outworked everyone. And that worked fine in law school as well. But then when I got to Wall Street, it was like, oh, shoot, these are the smart kids that had the same thought as me during college and outworked everyone and have better grades and they're smarter. And oh my gosh, I don't belong here. I'm going to get fired. It's just a matter of time till they figure out I'm some sort of fraud. And it was this kind of imposter syndrome that I was dealing with. And that really freaked me out. And so I started to look for another competitive advantage as my first two had been wiped out. And I thought learning how to network is going to be that competitive advantage because nobody's talking about this. And a lot of the partners that I'm talking to, they were telling me things like, yeah, I just bring in business. And so they're never going to get rid of me because I got this great book of business. You know, you need to bring in business at some point. Don't worry about it. You're a first year associate, second year associate. And I thought, okay, so wait a minute, you don't just get to the partner level and then meet everyone at some country club or whatever, and then that's <laughs> networking? I don't understand. And so that to me was kind of, that to me was problematic because I thought, uh-oh, I was convinced that that would be a shortcut and now it's not and I don't know what to do. And so I started really studying this and that's how I got into social dynamics, networking, and, and all these different subtopics and that was what prompted me to really study psychology and human dynamics at a deep level in the beginning. That is so cool. And I mean, obviously, you have built that into this amazing business and have built your own audience. But the main thing that we really are are wondering about for our audience, um, can I say that enough times, is how do you get to build out that following of people, not just through networking, but people who actually are interested in what you have to say, want to learn from you? Because one of the things that we're hearing and seeing more about in especially the legal technology space, but really for um, across the gamut for the legal field, is there are starting to be these legal influencers. People are following them. People want to know what they have to say, but it's really only in this small pocket. So how do you build out from from where you're starting having a small audience? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Building influence in any way is always a matter of trying to produce value for other people. And so a lot of people now, they don't really understand how this works. And so you see these influencer people that are like, follow my blog. And it's like you go there and it's just photos of them eating various things or something. It doesn't really work that way. And especially in a realm like the legal sphere, you want to make sure that you're providing value that matches the audience. And I, this sounds really self-explanatory for a lot of folks, I think, but most people don't do this. Whenever I teach something like networking or relationship development, a lot of people will go, oh yeah, I do a lot of that naturally. And it's like, oh, do you? Because you're, you just asked me all these questions that indicate that you don't really do it. And they're like, well, I just got, I guess I knew about some of that stuff. And it's like, great, I know diet and exercise. Am I in great shape all the time? Do I follow that all the time necessarily? No, there's a huge gap between knowledge and application. And I think with influencers, it comes down to that as well, because we see a lot of these people trying to create influence by pulling people towards them, or I guess you should say pushing people towards their content when really we should be attracting them to what we're doing. And so really good influencers in any sphere produce something that is so compelling that other people think, oh, I really want to catch this. I really want to listen to this because it's valuable for me or it's valuable for my career. And that's that's something that you don't see all the time. And so I want to create that image in your brain of, of magnetically pulling people towards what you're creating for them instead of just pushing people towards something that you're creating because you want to have influence. 
So advertising that's really good does this. It's like, hey, there's all these things that you're going to gain when you experience this, when you buy this, when you have this. Bad advertising says things like, hey, look, this is something that, that you need and you should feel bad if you don't have it. That works to a degree, but we don't want people to feel bad if they're not doing it. So clickbaity headlines and things like that work short term, like the three things that are ruining your legal career. It's like you'll click on that to a certain extent, but after a while you get sick of the bait and switch. Really good content in the legal sphere, I would imagine just like any other sphere, would be five habits that you can cultivate that will propel you to the top of your field. People want that because they, they think they have an edge when they get that content as opposed to just feeling bad that they don't have something and then reading your article about what they don't have and then going, oh, that was just sort of a clickbait thing so they can get page views. And a lot of influence builders are doing the latter, unfortunately. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And or there's this other thing of like, you'll read the article and you'll be like, oh, that's a lot of stuff to do or like, oh, I already knew all of those things. This <laughs> this wasn't actually something that applied to me or was new information or was any sort of a secret at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The articles that you're like, oh, great. Three habits that'll propel me to the top of the field. And it's like one show up to work on time. And you're like, uh, OK. And then the next one's like, dress well. And you're like, yeah. And the third one's like, you should be networking. Put yourself out there and meet new people. And you're like, uh, is there anything else? Where's the beef? And then there's exactly. no beef. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. such problematic. Yeah. And I, th I think so. I, I took your advice. I, uh, I actually listened to, well, I listened to a bunch of your stuff, but, uh, I was listening to your how to interview. So I figured if we're going to interview the Larry King of podcasting, we better have some idea what we're doing here. Because we're, you know, amateurs. But a couple of things that you said, one was advocating for the audience and taking it back to this idea of networking, right? And people going to places, you know, people are like, oh, I got to go to these networking events. And that's the thing. They're missing the boat, right? I mean, one of the things that when you're talking about the beef, some of the beef that I think that I, in, in terms of practical takeaways, if you could help uh, some of our audience members know so they're not like rolling their eyes about networking, you talk a lot about social cues, nonverbal communication. What are like the, maybe like the five bullets you could tell people that are going to these networking events and becoming furniture? Right. So the bullets of going to an event, the problem that a lot of people are having is they go to these mixers or something and they're like, all right, I've, I know I'm supposed to be networking, but I don't want to be here. I've got to cook dinner for my kids. I hate this because it seems really fake and I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get here. And that's understandable. Furthermore, a lot of us are going to these networking mixers where it's like networking mixer for professionals. So you show up and there's a bunch of financial planners there that are brand new to the game and they're walking around going, hey, if you want to know what to do with your retirement funds, give me a call. And they hand you a business card and the business card is so thin it curls up in your hand <laughs> and turns, like, remember those little cellophane fish that we had as kids? You put the oh, red thing yes. and it's like, oh, you're... Your mood is fickle because it curled up in a little ball. Those <laughs> business cards are doing that. And so I get why people don't want to go to these. And this is a problem because one event that I will, or one key I would say about events is I would say never go to any event that is not curated. And what I mean by that is if you can get in for 10 bucks or if you can get in for free and it's being held at the local YMCA and it's going to smell like a pool and or folding chairs from the 1980s, you should not go. And the reason for that is anything that's not curated is going to end up with a bunch of takers being the primary MO that you see from the people who go there. So it's going to be people who want to do some sort of lead gen. And they're like, yeah, I'm going here to generate clients for my, my MLM or whatever. So they're trying to sell you Herbalife or something like that. <laughs> You're going to end up with a bunch of those people in there. Or people that are like, yeah, financial plannings, any sort of door-to-door -door sales guy is going to be in there in force and you're going to be sitting there drinking Hawaiian punch and stale cookies and you're just going to resent going. So never go to an event in the first place that is not curated. And if you can't find a curated event in your area or you can't get invited to that for some reason, then create one of your own. So instead of going to networking for professionals, create legal professionals of Southfield, Michigan or something like that. 
It's like if you're in the greater Southfield area, come to this event, and then maybe you can even get your firm, depending on if this is possible for you, to sponsor this, and you only need a couple hundred bucks, right? Because really you just need a room. A lot of firms might even have a space for this, and then some very basic refreshments, I would imagine. The old the old Safeway cheese platter can, can work for this kind of thing. You really don't need much. <laughs> and you can keep out people that are like, hey, I'm a financial planner for lawyers. Like, no thanks. You have to be part of one of these local firms, and we want to see your profile online or on LinkedIn before you come. And you can make the excuse like, yeah, we need to add you to the security list. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Here's my online profile. And if people won't send you even a iPhone snapshot of their business card, then they shouldn't be invited. And right. I know that sounds harsh because people will want to be inclusive and not exclusive. But the point here is if you have an event and the only people that show up are trying to sell things to the attendees, no one's going to ever show up again. So yep. never go to an event that's not curated. If you can't get into a curated event, create one yourself. And once you're in the room, you can create little ways to, to create connections with other people. And a lot of people are afraid to network at events because they don't want to ask for something. Or they're like, look, I don't need a job. I already have one. So what am I doing here? Focus instead on what you can get for other people in your network. So if people show up and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm new to this firm, you could have some sort of value proposition, even for the whole group. And so when you go to these, if you're, by the way, if you're curating your own event, one thing that you could and should do is create a value proposition that gets people in the door. And one of the ways that you can do this is instead of just, hey, we're having a networking mixer, you can say, we're learning about search engine optimization for lawyers. And the expert on this subject is gonna be this guy who does search engine optimization from this local company. And he's coming in armed with ideas for attorneys on how to stand out on the web. Or this is a LinkedIn expert who has written a book about this and he's coming in armed with tips for lawyers on LinkedIn to network with other lawyers. That way people show up and they're not like, so I sit here and I eat this cheese platter and I look at the floor and I pretend I got stuff on my Blackberry or whatever that I need to answer and then I go home. It's like, no, we're gonna have a 45 minute talk on this and then afterward there'll be time for Q&A slash getting to know the other attendees. That way, even if they meet no one, there's some value in it for them. And of course, also the topic of conversation would be, yeah, you know, I never thought about how to stand out on the web. What are you doing on LinkedIn? Do you use LinkedIn to connect with other lawyers? How did you find your job? It sort of gives people a context in which they can talk to one another instead of, and network, see you guys later, right? And then everyone's staring at each other on these, these chairs, not knowing how to start the event. So the event structure is more important than having some sort of icebreaker in your back pocket. Does that make sense so far? No, absolutely. I think those are tremendous points. And um, I'd also encourage folks, uh, Jordan's, uh, jordanharpenger.com has some great tips, framework for curation of events. And actually then when you're getting there, um, I, I apologize because I'm a person that you did some of the YouTube uh, episodes with your back and forth with her was fantastic. And there were some great bullets. So I encourage people to go check that out. Check out the YouTube channel too, uh, for, you know, there's only so much we can cram into our episode here, but there's some really good stuff on the, on Jordan's YouTube channel. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. There's a lot of networking tips, tricks, but the, the key is always going to be in the mindset or the, the foundation. So the event really matters. I would say also, and I touched on this before and then got, got sidetracked with the event curation, but when you go to any sort of mixer or when you're networking at all, it doesn't matter what the mixer or the event is actually, always look for opportunities for other people in your network instead of just what you can get from it. I know everybody's like, okay, what's in it for me? I drove here. I'm late for dinner with my family. I need to get some value out of this. If we're always looking for what we can get from other people, especially at an event like that, you're going to be looking for the one in 100 people that can actually help you and you're gonna find it pretty fruitless. Like if you're looking for somebody who can create, let's say marketing for a legal website and you're going to these events and you're like, hey, I'm looking for somebody who can do marketing for a legal website. They're like, oh, well, I don't do that. I'm a mergers and acquisitions attorney. Oh, I don't do that. I'm automotive litigation, whatever. You're gonna go in that room, talk to a handful of people 
and you're going to immediately be bored with the conversation if that person can't help you, right? You're going to walk up to somebody and go, hey, what, what do you do? I'm looking for this, and they're not going to match. And you're going to be like, uh, okay, I'm going to stand here and be polite for a few minutes and then move on. That's looking for a needle in a haystack. But if you're looking for ways that the people you meet can help other people that you already know, now you're not looking for the needle in a haystack. Now there's a pretty good chance that anybody that you run into or meet is actually going to have some value for your network. So let's say you're still looking for somebody who can do marketing for a legal website and you're not finding them, but you have found somebody who does SEO. You have found somebody who's an attorney in a different field. You have found somebody who does, I don't even know, marketing funnels or something like that for WordPress. It doesn't even matter what it is, if it's technical or non-technical. You're thinking when you're talking with people, who do I know that could use this information or who do I know that can help this person? So you might meet somebody who does automotive company supplier, whatever litigation, and you're like, oh, this is so far from what I need. And you say, what are you looking for? And they're like, well, actually, we're finding it hard to recruit first-year associates because the automotive industry has this reputation that it's dead, and that's not true, but that's what law students are thinking because they're 22 and it's not the hot industry anymore. Tech is. We got to figure out how to make ourselves more interesting. And you say, oh, that's funny. I know somebody who's in Silicon Valley and they're a recruiter. You should connect with them because they're always in front of these sort of tech-facing students and they can position the automotive companies or your firm in a way that's interesting to all these Silicon Valley interested law students. That's a useful connection for them. You're not necessarily getting anything out of it immediately, but you make that connection between those two people. And if you continually do that, your reputation as a connector and somebody who's valuable to know, that skyrockets. And even if you help 100 people connect with each other and 99 of them are never able to help you back, it doesn't really matter because the one person who finally comes out of the woodwork out of you having helped all these other people and having them, of course, look for something that they can do to repay the favor, that's how you find these opportunities that really just seem to fall from the sky. That's when you get a call from somebody that you, you go, who is this again? And they go, yeah, remember we talked two years ago at this mixer at Deshert and you helped me find that recruiter. And you're like, yeah, I kind of remember that. And they're like, I know that you at one time were looking for technically minded designers for the legal industry. I think I finally found somebody. Are you still in need of that? And at that point, you might still, you might have given up on finding the right person. But since you've got an army of people that you've helped in the past few years out there with you in mind, because you did so much to help them, that can come back to you. And that's how you end up with a lot of opportunities that you never would have had before. You're really trying to figure out how you can give without the expectation or attachment to getting something in return. And you just rinse and repeat. And it's really scalable. It doesn't take a lot of time to make an email introduction. It's fantastic. You know, that makes me think of so one of the one of the things that I think I struggle with and a lot of people in general do when they're at events like this is not necessarily all the time, but sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm just tired today and I don't really feel like being engaging. And so as far as the kind of social cues and body language go, are there sort of fakes that you can suggest to kind of get out of that stuck mindset and be able to then go, okay, I am here to see what I can offer to other people instead of being like, I'm not feeling well. I want to just go home or, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. So as of course, we, we've probably all heard this before that your nonverbal communication can really affect your psychology. And more importantly, it affects the psychology of other people around you. So when we have friendly, open, nonverbal communication, other people treat us in a way that makes us feel <laughs> like we're actually that because that's what they perceive. So people's first impressions of us is based when we become a blip on their radar. So a lot of folks think, oh, I've got to make a good first impression by coming up with something clever to say. And that's not where the first impression is made. The first impression is made when other people notice us. So that's what I mean by when we become a blip on their radar. And if you want to test this, next time you're walking through the mall or down the street, and if you're in Michigan, you're, you're not going to be walking down the street anytime soon with other people huh. around. Um, go to the mall and try and test this out. You'll, you'll notice your brain makes all kinds of judgments 
on people. Even if you're a non-judgmental person and you're really fair, you're still going to see someone you'd be like, tall, attractive, short, young, old. I mean, our brain does this naturally. It's nothing to be ashamed of. When we see people that are open, upright, confident, friendly, they look more approachable and more relatable. So we're more likely to start a conversation with that person. So we want to become that person when other people are making judgments of us. And so that typically happens when we walk into the room. So what we wanna do is make sure that every time we walk into the room, the first impression that's made upon other people non-verbally is this person looks friendly, this person looks approachable. And so what I do is I've got something called the doorway drill. And what this is, is every time you walk through a doorway, you just straighten up, shoulders back, chin up, chest out, smile on your face. And you don't have to exaggerate this, you'll look silly. It's not like a Tony Robbins seminar. You just smile, upright, positive, confident body language, and you just straighten up every time you walk through a doorway. And of course, the problem with any sort of habit trigger like this is that we walk through doorways so often that it's unlikely that you'll remember this next time you walk through a doorway. So what I recommend is next time you raid the office supply closet at work, grab those tiny post-it notes that are not good for much of anything other than marking pages, those like one-inch square post-it notes, and the, the lime green ones or the hot pink ones. Put those up at eye level on the doorways that you walk through the most. So at home or in your office, the restroom nearby, the conference room, whatever. Nobody will even care. It's an office and it's got a post-it note in it. Or it's your home and it's got a blank post-it note in it. You don't have to write anything on it. And what this does is it interrupts your autopilot response. And it's a, you'll, you'll be subconsciously thinking, why is there a post-it note? Oh, right. I've got to do the doorway drill and straighten up my nonverbal communication. And so it breaks that autopilot response. You can straighten up every time you walk through a doorway. And after a while, you develop the habit of walking through doorways, straightening up and changing your physiology. And then what that'll do is, especially when you go to these mixers or the events, you'll be able to walk in, look upright, positive, confident, friendly, and approachable, and people will start to treat you as such. Because most of us are looking for an out when we go to those events anyways. And so if you're the most upright and approachable person, you will find that other people will start talking to you, and it will break you out of that funk, right? The first conversation, the first sort of, hey, what's your name, what brings you here, that's always the hardest. So it's a much easier nut to crack if other people are looking at you like, oh, okay, this person looks friendly, this is an easy way to kick things off. And so that nonverbal hack is great. I've, I've done this for everyone from law students and lawyers to military special forces, because changing your physiology is one of the key ways in which we find that people are really successful with changing a mindset quickly. And it's important to build it as a habit, because if you're just thinking, eh, I don't need to do the doorway drill itself, all I'm going to do is figure out when I go to these events and then remember to keep my body language upright and friendly. And it, that doesn't work, because as we're trying to remember to be upright, positive, confident, friendly, whatever, if we're trying to remember it in the moment, the internal dialogue goes a little something like this. All right, I'm at a networking event. I got to remember to straighten up. Okay, I'm straightened up. Okay, I'm going to start a conversation now. Wait, am I still straightened up? Yeah, okay, kind of. All right, I got to refresh that. Hi, what's uh, what brings you here? And then they start talking and then you go, oh shoot, am I upright? I got to straighten up. Okay, I'm upright. Wait, crap, I wasn't listening to what they were saying. What did they say? Oh shoot. <laughs> Now it I'm sounds not listening. like you're giving my internal monologue when I'm at events and I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh no, they're going to know I wasn't listening. Wait, now I'm slouching again. Straighten up. Shoot, what was their kid's name? And then you just go, why am I here? I need to pretend I need to go to the bathroom and then go to my car and never come back. Right? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it, right? So, and, and the reason I know this is because everybody's the same way pretty much. Everybody who feels like these the events are kind of a waste of time or they don't know what to do, everyone's got that same internal dialogue. So when we relegate or delegate this nonverbal communication, the open, upright, positive, confident body language, when we relegate that or delegate that to the level of habit, we don't have to think about it anymore and we can stay present in our conversations when we're talking with other people, which you know basically means listening. And then when people go, so yeah, I come to these things and you know, usually there's one or two people and that's kind of all I'm after. You're like, great. All right, good. Now I'm coming in and I don't have to think about whether or not I look like I belong here. And I don't have to think about whether or not I look as awkward as I might feel. And of course, when people treat us in a certain way, 
it informs our behavior. So if people treat us like we're friendly, open, and confident, we actually tend to switch into that pretty quickly. And anybody who has kids can tell that behavior's trained really fast. You know, your normally nice kid turns into a brat when he hangs around certain friends. You don't want him hanging around those friends anymore, and it happens within a matter of minutes, right? So anybody who has kids knows that this behavior is trainable and it's really quick. This is kind of how humans operate. We're pack animals largely, so we're social, I should say, anyway. So we can see our behavior change when other people expect certain things from us, right? We, we rise to that occasion usually, and the way that we signal to others who we are is through nonverbal. So changing our physiology really is a dramatic effect. That's great totally. stuff. So, so now you're, you've, you've started doing this stuff, you've developed some of these habits. One of the things I'm really curious to get your thoughts on, because you do have a tremendous network, what kind of daily habits or systems or reminders do you have in place for keeping those relationships active and reconnecting with people? Yeah, this is something I'm really, really, I wouldn't, I don't say passionate about, but I'm, I'm very much a proponent of consistency. Because a lot of people, they go, oh, networking's awkward. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Why is it awkward? Well, you know, you, when you don't talk to someone for two years and then you send them a note that says I need a job, that's awkward. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm with that. I get it. That is awkward. And the reason is because you know you have not done the work on a consistent basis to keep in touch with somebody. And now you're asking them for something and you know that you deserve to be ignored or told no because you've never reached out to them in the past. You've never shown any interest in them. So one of the daily habits that I have is making sure that I'm consistently in touch with people. And in fact, instead of starting with a daily habit, I'll give people a drill right now. And I call this layoff lifelines because essentially imagine you got laid off from your job today which happens, unfortunately, who are the 10 to 15 people that you'd contact and solicit their advice on what to do next? And if, if the first two are your parents, whatever, just move on from there. But who are the people you'd <laughs> connect to to solicit their advice on what to do next? There's a good chance these are weak or dormant ties, but important relationships. So it's like your old boss, that professor in law school that you really got along well with and never talked to after graduation, your advisor, uh, some old colleague that you had that you thought was really smart, but then has since changed firms and you've never been in touch since. Make that list and then reach out to those people now when you don't have an agenda and you don't need anything specifically. And you can literally start by saying, hey, Alex, I know it's been a few years. I've done a really terrible job of keeping in touch with people from the old firm or from back at school. So this is an effort to sort of reconnect and see if we can rekindle old relationships. I wanna see what you're up to, what's the latest, is there anything I can help with? And just admit that you're not, you're not sure why you let it go, but life got in the way and you wanna change that. The reason you have to be upfront about this is anytime that I hear from somebody and it's been two or three years, I'm thinking, okay, is it Herbalife or Scientology? What's ah. going on? <laughs> you know, what do you want? And so when they're really clear and they say something like, hey, I was looking at podcasts because I heard about them and I wanted to start my own and whose face do I see in this article in Inc. or Forbes, but you, wow, it's been a long time. You know, you seem to have done really well. I'd love to, to talk about this subject if you have time. That's better than, hey, buddy, what's going on? Been a while. Yeah, just reaching out randomly, nothing on my mind. It's like, okay, what's, what's really happening here? So admit that you've let relationships go, and most people will readily say, oh my gosh, yeah, me too. I've, I think about people, and then I never do anything because I'm in my car driving and then rinse and repeat for the next 10 years. What's going on? Yeah, it's been a long time. That's fine. Just don't hide the ball. It just makes people awkward, and honestly, it lowers the response rate from the layoff lifelines drill if people think, uh-oh, I don't want to do this, because if they've been burned by a past connection— you know, they got dragged into some guilt trip situation, they might not reply. But if you're really forthright that you just want to rekindle old relationships because you've done a bad job at networking in the past, most people will be totally, most people will understand that. So that's the layoff lifelines drill. And then beyond that, one thing that I do every day around 10 a.m., their time or my time, depending if I know their time zone, I will open up the text messaging app in my phone scroll all the way down to the bottom. And those are the people that you had lunch with two years ago at some conference and never really kept in touch. Or 
old friends that you texted or they texted you by accident and you said, yeah, let's get coffee sometime and it never happened. Those are those old conversations. Scroll all the way to the bottom and re-engage four to five of those people every day. And I know people are going, I don't have time for this. Don't worry. 70% of people will respond. 30% of people won't. And that's on a good day. Furthermore, everyone's so busy that if you're sending these text re-engage type of, of scripts to people, people are going to go, oh man, Gia, I haven't heard from you in a long time. What's the latest with you? Yeah, you know, I'm just hanging out doing this podcast. I work for this company. I got a couple kids. No big deal. People will send a couple texts back and forth, but all these people who fear that they're going to get roped into like coming over for Christmas, it's just not going to happen, right? Everyone's busy. The reason I choose 10 a.m., is that people are usually at work and in the office and they'll answer their phone during a break or during lunch. And they're not gonna be like, yeah, let's get together and do all these time consuming things. Most people are glad to hear from you. They're gonna be glad to be in touch again, but they're not necessarily gonna want a bunch of your time because they don't have that much time to spare themselves. So don't worry about that. I think a lot of people worry of if they're going to re-engage 20 to 30 people a week that they're going to end up with 18 lunches. And it's just not the case. It's not the case. What does happen is you end up top of mind for 20 to 30 people a week and all these random opportunities come out of the woodwork. You know, things, I, this is a real life example for me. I'll do this and every week or so someone will go, hey, so funny you texted me. I'm about to walk into a board meeting now and we're choosing our speakers for our national sales day. Do you speak from stage? Do you teach this stuff that you talk about on the show? And I'll go, yeah, I do. Let me know what you guys want. And I'll get speaking invitations or someone will say, hey, I know you're doing that podcasting thing. A friend of mine runs a show about networking in the legal industry. Is that something you'd be interested in? Sure, yeah, let me know. You get these little opportunities. Most people, they're just glad to be back in touch. And then 30% don't respond at all. And you should just not worry about it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So Jordan, since you brought up somebody, you know, just as a hypothetical example, somebody reaching out to be like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. What do I do? One of the ways that we've, Guy and I have been approached by people to see if they can um, build out their audience is like, Hey, should my law firm start a podcast? And I just wanted to get your two cents as someone who's been doing it for so long, what you think about people starting a podcast and any kind of tips you would have or whether they should just put it on the back burner and not do it. Yeah. I mean, my, I've, I'm controversial in this space for this opinion. So feel free to stop me if, if this really isn't relevant or what you want to hear, but I think most people should not have a podcast. And the reason is it's not people go, oh, you're afraid of the competition. Bring it. But the reason is that most of these firms, for example, they don't have a ton that they want to say. They go, should I start a podcast? And I go, what do you want to talk about? And they're like, well, I don't know. The answer then is you should not start a podcast. It, it might be a great hobby. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what we agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like so many it, people are trying to like feel like they have to they have to force it and they're like they don't want to do it. They're not good at it. They're not willing to put the work in to get better at it. It's like don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. It's it's not this podcasting is not the website of 1998. Like does my company need a website? The answer is yes, even if you just have a dry cleaner and it's like we're located here, we're open till 7, we're closed on Sunday. Like that's fine. That's your website. You have to have that if you're not on there, it's weird. Right? Podcasting is not that. Podcasting is like a YouTube channel. Does your dry cleaner need a YouTube channel? No, it doesn't. Does your law firm need to have a podcast? No, it doesn't. Do you need a book? No, you don't. It's one of those things where everybody thinks, oh, I need to be on here because marketing, and it's just not the case. It's worse to have a podcast that's not good than to not have one. It's kind yeah. of like, oh, absolutely. It, it's yeah, it, it's 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 a problem. It will unbrand you. I don't know if this is the right. It will like debrand you or negative brand you mm -hmm. if you have one. And it's just super awful. And it's recorded in an echoey conference room. And the partner's like, hey, uh, what should we talk about? I don't know. Let's talk about how great our firm is. Okay, let's talk about that for 45 minutes and then devolve it into good restaurants in an area where we work. Stay tuned for the next episode in nine months when we figure out we need to do another one. That's that's not <laughs> yeah. good. That's not good branding. And any client that hears that is just going to go, 
you know, I dislike these people more than I did five, <laughs> 40 minutes ago. Why did they waste my time with that? Are they going to waste my time with other things? Now, if you've got a firm that does really niche, interesting work, and it's like, yeah, we have a 10-minute bi-weekly podcast about some of the crazy stuff that we've seen where we anonymize some of our, I don't know, patent work that we're doing, and we d we've just seen some of this outrageous stuff that's really interesting and going to be very valuable for people who want to prosecute patents or file for patents, that's valuable. So the clients are going, should I hire them? And you go, yeah, here's three 20 minute long episodes about things you need to know when you're gonna file for a patent. And then they listen and they go, wow, that was really helpful and probably saved me a few grand on the phone with attorneys, just gathering documents and making sure I had the right stuff. These guys know what they're doing. That builds trust with potential clients. You can put it up on the website, they're grateful, and then they feel like they know you and then they're more likely to retain you. Anything less than that, anything less than valuable that generates trust is going to be a problem. You're better off not having it at all. Totally, and yeah. well, for listeners, uh, a great example of what Jordan's talking about is Ken White, AKA Pope Hat's uh, Make No Law podcast. So uh, he's a First Amendment lawyer, and he's just talking First Amendment, telling some of the stories, having guests on from some of the cases. He's not sitting there just like, you know, doing the things that Jordan talked about, which you, it was, it was funny as he, as Jordan was describing that there are like so many lawyer podcasts. I was like, literally that's what they're doing. Um, but as, as a point, if you're looking for a resource in the legal space, definitely check out make no law. It's fantastic. Yeah. And we don't, and obviously Jordan Gee and I both share the feelings that, that you expressed about whether or not law firms should start a podcast, but it's, it's more for me, it's, it's such a short sighted thing to say, oh yeah, we're going to start a podcast because you have to have months of ideas and content prepared and be able to think about what your one year plan is. Because if you're like, oh, we're going to start a podcast, we'll do three episodes and then we'll be done. And maybe like you said, you know, nine months later, we'll come back and do another episode. That's not a podcast. That's just like a thing you tried. Right. It's like some audio files that are sort of available somehow and nobody thinks about it. Right. It doesn't engender any loyalty or trust with the clients. It's the difference between creating a video that shows how a product works and having a full-on YouTube channel, right? So there's something to be said for doing a video that shows your client service and it's well-produced, but you would never put a video up where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm holding my iPhone and I'm walking into the firm from my car. Here's Gina, she's our receptionist. Let me see, oh, my office is kind of a mess today. Well, let's see. Oh, my phone's ringing off the hook. Hold on. Let me put the phone down real quick because I got to get my keys out. That's what a bad podcast is like. And nobody would ever make a video like that. But people yeah. make podcasts like that all the time. Unless it's in your Instagram stories. Right. Right. Yeah. Then it's then it's a little that's that's totally different. Right. That's yeah. that's something that's like inside look. But even then, I think a lot of people think, oh, we've got to be on Instagram, too. OK, so what are you going to take a picture of? What are you going to do videos about? And if the answer is, I don't know, other firms are on Instagram, then do not start an Instagram. Don't start an Instagram that has a photo of your business card, a photo of the front door of your firm, and then a picture of everyone who works there, and then no posts for the next two years. That's not good. You're not going to get any sort of search results for it, and it's just going to look hokey if anyone even finds it. And that's the sound of thousands of lawyer Instagram accounts closing. <laughs> closing, yes. <laughs> Delete it and remove all of the posts. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, so here's another so question for you. So I was going to, for me, I just was listening to your uh, episode with Darren Brown, which was awesome. So we got a, an audience of lawyers here. If there's someone just getting started with the Jordan Harbinger show, what are the, maybe the top handful of episodes you might recommend them to get started with? It doesn't have to be legally related, but just things that, you know, some you're, you have an experience being a lawyer. What are some of the things you think, whether it's leadership, coaching, networking, that you'd say, go check this one out? I think the episode with Robert Greene was probably a really good episode for people who are maybe legal-minded because he talks, his book, his most recent book, is called The Laws of Human Nature. And Robert Greene wrote Mastery. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power. Those are books that lawyers probably, well, litigators in any case, especially, should have read 
and should probably have on their shelf in their office so they can refer to it when they're dealing with clients or, or judges especially. Mm-hmm. But the laws of human nature is excellent because Robert really breaks down what people's motivations are. And one of the topics in there is toxic envy. And I see that a lot in the legal profession, both from lawyers and clients alike. And so this is an episode where, and it's a 28 and a half hour long book. So unless you're going to do that on Audible or you're a really solid reader, I know a lot of us attorneys are great readers, but 30 hours is 30 hours, man. So we broke down some of the key principles in the interview with Robert Greene from his book, The Laws of Human Nature. And I think that this episode is, it's really, really phenomenal. It's one of the best interviews that I've done in a while, in my opinion. And he talks about why and how humans are irrational in the way people, the way this emotional irrationality affects decision-making. Cognitive bias makes a little cameo here. And finding out what dictates our own emotions and how that affects our decision-making, even when we think, I don't do that, but other people do. So that's something we can then turn around and use to our advantage in persuasion and influence. So the Robert Greene interview is a really solid place for people to start. Sweet. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, let me find what episode that is uh, off the top of my head. I think it's 117. Yeah, episode 117, Robert Greene what you Boom. need to know about the laws of human nature. Nice. Downloading pull. it now. Boom. We'll put it in the show notes too. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Oh, that's awesome. Guy also had in his notes here, he wanted to know what book you would recommend. Sorry, Guy, I'm stealing your notes. Steal away. Um, <laughs> what book you would recommend that is not How to Win Friends and Influence People? I actually think The Laws of Human Nature is a great book that I've read recently. Then again, it is 28 and a half hours. So it's like, all right, yikes. I get that that's a little bit longer than what most people want to read and deal with. There are a lot of books at jordanharbinger.com slash books. I've actually got a, a, a nice big list of books that I've read recently. One that I thought was quite inter- really interesting, um, maybe a little bit off what you are used to, there's a book called Why We Sleep, and it's actually about sleep and dreams. And I think lawyers, especially, and professionals of all kinds, could probably use a little bit of, a little bit more and better sleep. And I think this is a a great book for people that I think would be great for, for lawyers especially to be able to sort of maximize that. Now that said, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more not corporate, but a little bit more relevant, possibly, to that. I think, there, man, there's so many good books that I've read on these subjects. There's, let's see, The Dichotomy of Leadership, if you're looking for something a little bit more corporate-related, that's Jocko Willink. He's a Navy SEAL, former SEAL team uh, leader from Iraq, and he's he's really, when you see pictures of him, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a guy who's blown stuff up for sure. The dichotomy of leadership. And he talks about principles in this book from him leading the SEAL teams with him and and his his, uh, compadre Leif Babin. They talk about things that are like, you need to be aggressive, but not blinded by aggression. You need to be organized and follow the rules, but you can't have the rules get in the way of success. So you really do find this balance. And it's not just hey, you need to have balance in your life. He really does talk about caring about individual team members, but accepting you might have to sacrifice their well-being for the benefit of the team. Claiming ownership in people's work that are underneath you, but not micromanaging others so that they don't have the opportunity to take control and feel ownership themselves. So he really does a great job in this book of outlining that. And that's called The Dichotomy of Leadership as well. That's a really good book. Yeah, all Jocko's stuff's lined up in my Goodreads. I mean, it's amazing. It's great to hear the stories, too. It's just fascinating and also extremely informative and valuable. Yeah, the stories are why I usually get the book, and then I'm like, okay, I learned something as well. Right, right. And then we would be remiss if we didn't ask the godfather of podcasts. On your morning walks, who's in your podcast feed these days? Uh, Tom Bilyeu is really good. He runs a show called Impact Theory. He's a good interviewer. He has similar guests to the Jordan Harbinger show. A little bit more pop culture-y. I don't, I don't even know if pop culture is it. A little bit, maybe a little bit more entrepreneurial um, and kind of buzzy uh, is that. And, and then James Altucher. He's a strange duck, but he's a really good yes. thinker. 
You know him? Yeah. Well, um, so actually, Jordan, I don't know if you know this, but you know my husband, Aaron Street, um, through MMT. I do know Aaron Street. And James is kind of in that universe as well, peripherally. And so, um, (laughs) so yes, I I have heard a lot of, through Jason and the MMT crew, have heard a lot of great James stories. (laughs) Yeah. He's just one of those guys where you're like, okay, if I didn't like you, I would probably think that you're some sort of possibly possibly homeless genius that roams around Manhattan or something, but he's just really brilliant and he's an, he thinks in a different way and he's an interesting guy to listen to, especially. So him and I do maybe similar guests, but he's a very different interviewer than me. Yeah. Oh, well, I wanted to make sure that we ask Jordan, since this is lunch hour legal marketing, what are you eating for lunch today? Or what have you already eaten for lunch? Oh my today? God. I would love to get a shrimp burrito. That's I'm really keen on that. My wife is uh she is is funny lately. She'll be like, I'm gonna make salmon and quinoa. And I'm like, great, sounds good. And then ten minutes later she's like, Yeah, I'm at the Mexican place. We're eating this now because I saw it and I can't resist what's here. <laughs> so I think I'm probably having salmon and quinoa, but what I want is a shrimp burrito. I awesome. have never had such a thing. I didn't know that you could get a shrimp burrito. Oh yeah. Just imagine instead of steak or chicken, they throw some nice grilled shrimp in there. Sounds delicious. It is. I might need to I might need to figure out how to source one of those today. Yeah. Yeah. You could also just bring your own shrimp, you know. That's that's the weird <laughs> thing that I'll in Michigan. BYOS. It's like, hey, hey, BYOS. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, um, instead of steak, can you throw in this thing I, I got? You might have to defrost them. No, I, I think <laughs> good good Mexican restaurants around here in California, everybody's got a shrimp burrito. I, but I, I remember when I was in Michigan, I don't think I've ever seen one when I was there. Um, well, Guy is actually in Chicago. He's been there for the last decade, and I am in Minneapolis, and I don't think we have good Mexican food. Um, Guy says they have great Mexican food in Chicago. Well, I mean, it's not California, <laughs> but, you know, for the Midwest, I mean, we're, not, we're doing all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say there's not a lot of shrimp that you would want to eat in some of those rivers and lakes. So they have lake, to bring lake shrimp, lake shrimp. Lake shrimp. Yes, of course. Lake shrimp. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Come on in for lake shrimp. Oh my God. Uh, Hard pass on so that. So weird. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, they're disgusting. Awesome. Oh, there's so much other stuff I want to talk about that's like the random stuff. Like I know. Uh, escape rooms. Because uh Jordan, Guy and I for um our agency just did an escape room on Wednesday as a team. And of course we won. Um, and Aaron and I do, we have started a tradition of doing escape rooms whenever we travel. And I hear that you and your wife are pretty big on them. Oh yeah. That's our major thing. We've done like 170 escape rooms. Wow. Yeah. Which is that's amazing. depressing when you add up the cost, but fun. She loves it. And I'm just like, Hey, you know what kind of car we could have gotten for the same amount of money? But, but you know, this, it's one of those things that we really enjoy doing. And honestly, I will say I've learned a lot about myself through the process of going through escape rooms because it turns people who normally can keep their cool into demons. And it takes people who are normally shy into these sort of puzzle solving machines. They really come out of their shell. And then other times, People who you think, oh, this is going to be like a good person, a good friend, a good team player. You find out that they just crack under pressure. So it's really interesting. It's They're not that high pressure, but something in there, that competitive instinct, can, can make or break certain types of people. And I am one of those people where over the course of 170 escape rooms, I went from <laughs> my wife being like, you're a terrible person, and I never knew it, to, oh, yeah, you, you handle these really well, and you're a good leader when it comes down to the wire. Oh, I get very intense. Guy, you were a very good leader in ours. I have to commend you on that. I, I didn't tell you that yet. Oh, that's that's very kind of you to say. Appreciate that. <laughs> I actually was call problem solving. It was, was captain to see home maples. So <laughs> that makes sense. Wow. Wow. We're going back. That's right. Yep. What is a sea home maple? It's a football that was our team. high school mascot. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my, meat, my meathead days. Yeah, you know, I can't, I'm having trouble imagining you otherwise. When I come in and visit, I'm going to be like, wow, what? We Would remember you, when you we really let fit? yourself go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and me both, buddy. Like, I, I remember being, my, my doctor was like, you need to lose a little bit of weight and, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm not, 
that much overweight by any stretch, but I was like, huh, I don't think I've ever been that weight. And then I was like, yes, yes, I was in high school. And when I look at photos, man, did I look a lot better then? You know, it's like, maybe I do need to lose a little bit. It's kind of, it's a little bit funny because I remember being that age and thinking, for me, getting fat is impossible. I can eat whatever I want. Now, <laughs> not so much. Oh, yeah, easy for me. Well, you know, and not, uh, part of my, you know, kind of, doing some of my research, taking your advice, I noticed that you uh, eat active greens, which has come up. Kelly, are you on eating active yes, greens? Yes, um, we do active greens, of course, because Aaron got introduced to them through yeah, MMT. Athletic greens. Yeah, athletic or, greens. Oh, yeah. athletic greens. Athletic yes. greens. I've, my policy, I already I, screwed it up. My brain just already went to the right thing, so mm-hmm. uh, good job, brain. So what um, is athletic <laughs> greens for in our last few seconds here? Not that they're, they're not sponsoring anything, but I made, it really piqued my interest. Yeah, they should be. So what what this is is essentially it's like vegetable insurance, right? So you have a packet of this stuff when you're on the go, and it it's all these vitamins and minerals and things like that for, that you would get from vegetables, and it's made from vegetables. It's not just like random stuff put into a powder, and it's pretty tasty, and they come in these little packets. So when you're on an airplane and your only choice is like a Burger King Whopper for the food that you're going to get all day slash airplane food, you can at least get a glass of water and have some athletic greens, and you're not like, you know, starving your body of nutrition. So it's it's something that I've been doing for a while, and I, I really like it because I feel less guilty eating other things and instead of being like, yeah, I have to eat a pound of broccoli now because it's been four days since I've had a vegetable. All yeah. right, I'm trying it. I'm going to try it. It's like, well, it's very different than Soylent, but it is uh, actually... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's it, what I thought it, it was going to be, good. and I was like, I don't know about the Soylent stuff. My brother's eating the Soylent, and I was like, ah, I don't know about that. Oh, no. really? He's eating he the tr- Soylent? Well, you, I don't know if he still has that. Sorry, Athens blew you out. I think he, he tried it at some point, but he's, I think he's off of it. But the Soylent doesn't taste good, does it? I mean, I haven't, I haven't had the Soylent. Um, the Soylent is Sorry, not the Soylent. really my, yeah. I would say it's not bad, but it's certainly not my favorite. That's one of those like all meal replacement, and it's it's just like soy milk and some vitamins. Uh, if you go to athleticgreens.com slash Jordan, they'll give you a bunch of free travel packs that you can take with you Boom. as there well. Yes. Nice. And that's what we do. We uh, just like Jordan mentioned on airplanes or when we're traveling, just you don't get enough water, you deplete your vitamins. And so we travel with athletic greens and just take a thing of it. And they're, they're actually pretty tasty. I, when you see it and you shake it up and it's all green and it looks like it's going to be horrible, but it's not. It's not exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys, and thank you so much. Yeah, I would I would love to catch up in person as well. I'm looking forward to meeting you face to face as well, Kelly. Yes, hopefully soon. I'm sure um, we'll eventually see each other at some MMT related thing, if not <laughs> if not otherwise. Yeah, tell Aaron I said hello, and thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Yes. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you're ever in Chicago in the summer, please don't hesitate to reach out. And continued success to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. And in the winter, don't reach out because you don't want to leave the house. Well, you can. I, I'll i be I walk to work in February. because I'm one of those idiots. But uh, if you're not accustomed to that, I would suggest the summer's a better time. Yeah, I think that's always a good move. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. I appreciate Take it. Take care, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks again. Bye bye. Well, thanks yet again to Jordan Harbinger. Please check out the Jordan Harbinger show. Really great stuff. And thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. And if you're not currently a subscriber, please do subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast, 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 or social media where we try to be pretty engaging. If you have show ideas or you'd like to be a guest, we more than welcome you to reach out. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy your lunch. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of 
nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.